Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 John 4, 7 to 5, 5. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks and that we have your living word here as we, uh, as we read it, as we hear from it, and as, uh, as, as it's spoken to us. I do pray, Lord, that it will uh, move our hearts today, that your spirit will be at work, helping us, convicting us of any sin in our hearts, any uh, areas where we are, uh, uh, area, any areas of disobedience, any areas where uh, we're, we're choosing not to, to surrender it to you. I do pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to be a people that want to please you, to be a people of love as you are love. I pray for that in your son's name. Amen. Okay, that's that. Uh, I came across an article the other day, and it was, I think this is falling down. Yeah, we're good? Okay, we're good. Uh, I came across an article the other day. Time, Time Magazine online released this article, AI human re- romances are flourishing, and this is just the beginning. Now, I came across this, and when I found out, I couldn't not read it. 
it, it sounded so interesting. Here's the opening paragraph. I've got, I've got, I, I copied and pasted the opening paragraph so you guys can follow with me. Uh, fictional humans have been falling in love with robots for decades. In novels like The Silver Metal Lover and films like Her, these stories have allowed authors to explore themes like forbidden relationships, modern alienation, and the nature of love. When those stories were written, machines were not quite advanced enough to spark emotional feelings for most users. But recently, a new spate of artificial intelligence programs have been released to the public that act like humans and reciprocate gestures of affection. And some humans have fallen for these bots hard. Message boards on Reddit and Discord have become flooded with stories of users who have found themselves deeply emotionally dependent on digital lovers. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but the article does go on and talks about how the idea behind developing these AI bots was to help with loneliness and social isolation through having someone or something, I should say, to, to talk to. Yeah, what, it's all, what we're also discovering is actually perpetuating the problem of loneliness, developing these uh, relationships, these, these emotional attachments to, to AI. And it's uh, potentially stopping people from seeking out actual human contact, trapping them in this lonely cycle. It's perpetuating the problem. And I feel for that. I feel for these people who might be looking in that direction for love and comfort. I get it. We all want to love and be loved. It's part of being human, isn't it? Yet what we're seeing in our world is love that too often seems just incomplete. A love that's just a little bit out of reach. A love that's sometimes shallow and missing something, don't you? I, I feel like we're looking for love in all these places, but all these loves, all these, all these places where we're looking for love, whether it's AI or somewhere else, it just seems so <coughs> broken. A love that is conditional, perhaps, a love that is subjective, a love that's defined by a constantly changing culture and society. And more so than not, what we see is love that is, that is just, just twisted. When romantic love at first in a relationship leads to instead control and manipulation. Or when love in families between a parent and child leads to unrealist, unrealistic expectations or at worst trauma. We hear that word a lot. When love amongst friends is just a cover really for, hey, you're, you're useful now and this is convenient, but only until I find someone better. Where can we get a more definitive definition of love? Who can we look to to show us what true unconditional objective love is? We're, we're told that love is what our world needs, and we don't have to be a church goer to know the principle of love by neighbor, to be kind and spread love. But what or who will be the model of love for us to imitate? Our parents, our siblings, our lovers, our friends, another imperfect human being? In today's Bible passage, the author, the Apostle John, wants us to look to God. And I want, want us today to understand fully what inspires our love for one another as Christians. Many of us here, we come to church because we're Christians. And I want us to take the, the heart of the, the words of the Bible today as we practice love as Christians who are part of this church we call Providence because love is so essential to what we're about. Surely, when you walk through the doors, you know that's what we're about. It's on our banners. It's on our websites. Loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. How do we do that, though? Today, I want us to get that basis, the foundation of how we can strive to live out this lofty vision, and it begins with God. It begins with His love and how that shapes our relationships and actions towards others. So let's pick it up from verse 7. You can follow along in your Bibles. I do have it on the screen, so you can follow there as well. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right, before we go on, we're in chapter four now. All right, so the letter has been one where he's writing to the early church in his time, reminding them what the Christian life looks, at, look, looks like from one to three. Early on in this letter, we, I said earlier that God is light. That's what he writes. So live in the light, he says. Those who live in the light are children of God. Now in chapter four, he's saying God is love. And when we love one another, it reveals that we are children of God. Our identity is in God. We're born of God. We know God. He says something quite profound here, though, I think. Our living by love is a marker that shows we know God. We have a relationship with Him, that we're spiritually born again. That special love that He's talking about here, this love that we display is a reflection of Him. Now, I, I think this is important because we often think about uh, how, uh, we, we look at parents and we look at children. We often see these resemblances or habits of mannerisms, don't we? It will become naturally from our parents. Uh, if you meet my parents uh, and spend enough time with them, uh, or, or you'll see me and my sisters, we do this thing where we, we rub our faces at the end of the day when we're tired. You can ask Billy. Grace does it all the time too. We rub our face at the end of the day when we're tired. That's our dad. Like Heidi was like, man, that's what your dad does a little. It's, it's a funny thing. We just pick these mannerisms up. And like I said earlier, you know, if you hang out with Tilly long enough, she'll just, when she sees something beautiful, she'll say, wow. Because Heidi and I always say, wow, when, we, when we're with her. You see, when we, when, we love, uh, when we love as Christians, it reveals something about who we are. That's what he's trying to say. We belong to God. We're his children. We, re- we resemble our Father. Because God is light and God is love. He's the source of love. When he's saying God is love, he's the source of love, the definition of love. Everything that comes from him, everything that he does, everything uh, that, that, that emanates from it is, is what love is. We've got to note something. John is not reducing God to simply an emotion, is he? Uh, we use the word love to describe an emotion all the time, don't we? We hear our favorite song uh, and we say, oh, I love this song. I love sushi, I love footy, I love K-pop, I love lamp. And we throw the word around and we love all the time so easily, don't we? And so, so, so often abstract and subjective at times. And while love is an emotion, and that is true, it is an emotion, verse 8 is wanting us to ground ourselves in where love originates from. God is love. And aren't you glad God is love? I'm so glad that love doesn't originate from us, from humanity. Because while we might see at times unconditional love between a parent and child, yes, we see that at times, parent and a pet. Some of you guys have dogs and you have this unconditional love for them. Our love as humans is always going to be imperfect, isn't it? Our patience runs thin. We get triggered. And our love goes from unconditional to conditional in a heartbeat, doesn't it? I'm glad we don't define what love is. When we understand that God is love, what it means is the God who is perfect in every way also loves perfectly. This characteristic of love amongst many other characteristics of God means that everything he does is an expression of his love. Verse 9 and 10 tells us how we know this to be true. It was seen in sending his one and only son. He sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us. Love was made manifest. And within just these two verses, we learn about what this true, deep, unconditional love looks like. Firstly, it's one that initiates and is proactive, isn't it? God himself initiated a rescue plan for humanity to save us from sin. God loved us first through sending his son, Jesus, to our world. 
He was the rescue plan for all of humanity, past, present, and future. But secondly, it is gracious and undeserved. We didn't earn that love. Verse 10 tells us it's not because we loved him first. And we hear that in other parts of the Bible, don't we? In, 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 in Romans 5, you hear about how once, when we were once sinners, God's enemies, when we once rejected, when we once rejected and disobeyed God, in his gracious love, God came down. Sent Jesus, sent by God, so we could know him, so we could know his love. It's undeserving. But thirdly, it's also sacrificial. Jesus was an atoning sacrifice. That means all that just all that means is he atones for our sin by taking upon himself. He didn't deserve to die, but he became the substitute for us. He sacrificed his life so that we could be saved, so that we could have a restored relationship with God. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? At the heart of the gospel, the good news is Jesus who died on a cross. A picture of love. Think about when you send love to your friends. What, what emoji do you usually send? A love heart, don't you? We send love hearts in, a, in text messages to loved ones as a symbol of love. And it might seem odd to non-believing friends, but what's the symbol of love from God? It's a cross, isn't it? Uh, we, the cross is a symbol of God's love for us, it's, but it's, it's, a, it's the very thing that Jesus was executed on as well. His life sacrificed so we could have life and no love. It's a picture of who God is. He himself is showing us his nature through his initiating, through his, uh, that, that, that undeserving and sacrificial act of love. God himself shows us this unconditional perfect love in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's the most solid, solid love I can anchor in in this life. I've been married for... Uh, all my, uh, tw- I, was gonna, I was just 12 years in February, right? 12 years. And I, I love my wife. I made vows to her and she to me, and, but I can tell you this, my love for her is so imperfect. There are days when we argue and we fight, and, and I don't feel like loving her. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't feel like loving her, I'll be honest. They're in those moments. My actions show it. My words show it. I just want to be right. <laughs> And my, my pride and my stubbornness, that sin stains my love. I have friends. I have friends who I love and I think they love me. But I know that that love between us isn't always perfect. There's often misunderstandings, often times where we, we speak in ways that we shouldn't. There's fear of shame, which, which means we don't always speak the truth to each other in love as well. We don't want to hurt the other person, so we just keep the truth from them. Surely you've experienced that too. You know, for example, you know, your friend shouldn't be dating that person, but fear stops you from loving them with truth, and so you don't share that with them. You see, our love is never perfect, is it? Even in a family setting, as much as parents want to be the perfect model of love, parents are human too. Siblings are human too. You see, our general human attitude is to believe in ourselves that we're good and loving people. We, we want to believe that about us and about everyone around us. But when love really gets tested, when someone hurts you, when your shame is triggered, when a difficult person is in front of you, that's when love really is tested, isn't it? We, s- we say we're loving people, but when that difficult person really irks you, you know, I think the, 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 the default for most of us is, yeah, it's easy to love when it's my wife. It's easy to love when it's my good friends. But don't ask me to love the hard, the hard to love. Yeah, it's a real question, isn't it? Are we actually loving people? Will I inconvenience myself, sacrifice my time and energy for someone who is undeserving of it? 
I'll be honest, it's far more easier to hesitate in those moments than naturally jump at the opportunity, isn't it? It's in those moments I have to stop and pause and consider, what will my love be shaped by in this moment? Is my love going to be shaped by selfish desires and comfort? Or a love shaped by and defined by God, who is love and shown His love in Jesus? I, I feel so much in our culture, we're anchoring ourselves in our culture's version of love, aren't we? And usually it's just romantic love, you know, Korean dramas or Taylor Swift songs. They're usually, that's what we think love is. But, you know, you keep pulling that thread and it always will leave you feeling shortchanged, won't it? Culture's narrative of what love is will always be human and imperfect. We have to look to God. We must look to God who defines love for us. Do you know who this God is, though? Do you know, do you know this God who is love? Because when we do, John gives us a lot of reassurance here. You'll know you live in God and His love because you'll have confidence on the day of judgment. You'll have confidence and know that there is no fear when we stand before Him. Perfect love drives our fear. I'll pick it up from verse 17. This is what he says. On the screen I have it. I think this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, while that might sound a bit confusing, what he's saying is all of us will have to stand before God in judgment. But the Christian who knows and lives by loving God, who knows his love and lives by it, we have nothing to fear. Yeah, John here is talking about there, there is no fear, and, and it's not about, you know, there are other parts of the Bible that talk about fearing God, and usually that's in the context of, you know, this, this awe and reverence of God, fear God in that awe and reverence, but here what he's saying is there's no fear in the sense of, no fear of rejection in love. While some of us might and should fear that rejection if we're not living uh, under God, if we're actively living in disobedience and rebellion, we should fear that rejection, but if we're living in God's love, John is saying there is no room for it. God's perfect love for us drives out any fear of rejection. That should blow our minds. Because here's the reality for, I'd say, everyone in this room. We all have things in our lives we're not proud of. Oh, we all have at times been selfish. I'm sure we've lied to get out of something or not to hurt someone. I'm sure we've had impure thoughts, at times been greedy in some way. I'm sure we've all got skeletons in our closet, sin in our lives, that if exposed would humiliate and we'd feel shamed about. Simply put, we'd feel fearful of judgment by another person, wouldn't we, if they knew what my ugly heart looked like? Well, guess what? God knows everything about you. From that time you were five years old and lied to your parents, or that time you had impure thoughts as a teenager, or just last week when you were harboring those bitter, angry thoughts towards someone. He knows the ugly sin of our hearts. If we should fear rejection... If we should fear rejection and judgment from anyone, it should be when we have to stand before God, shouldn't it? More than anyone else. Because we're going to be held accountable for every sin we've committed to Him and to others. Yet here's this humbling and absolute amazing grace of God. This truth that gives us confidence and reassurance. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. How good is that? How good and, and comforting is that to know? To know our Father is, is loving and we're loved in Christ, it drives out fear. There's a quote by the late Tim Keller. He's a pastor from the U.S. who's passed away early this year. I want to share, and I, I think I've shared this before with our church. It says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. 
but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Do you hear what he's saying there? To be loved but not known is comforting. It's nice to say, oh, I love you, but you don't, you don't even know me. It's comforting, but it's shallow and superficial. I mean, if you're finding love through an AI chatbot, I can imagine it's comforting. Someone is listening, comforting me. But an AI chatbot doesn't know anything about you. It's superficial and shallow. But to be known and not loved, well, that's our greatest fear, isn't it? If all my ugliness was exposed to you and you stopped loving me because of it, it's understandable uh, to be fearful. It's why people hide in their sin. It's why people keep secrets and stay in the darkness. We don't want our shame to be exposed. But to be fully known and truly loved, wow, that's the love of God. He knows us deep, to to the deepest depths of our hearts, and He still loves us still. That conf- there's confidence in that because perfect love drives out fear. What great news that we have in the gospel. Have you been wanting to know what true love actually is? Get to know this God. And for our church, if you're a Christian and you know this God who is love, is your life shaped by His love? Does it overflow in the way you love others? Because a marker of being a Christian is being someone who loves others. Again, our vision, loving Jesus, loving each other, loving loving what Jesus loves. That's why it says loving Jesus first and then each other and then our world. Because when we love Jesus and live by His love, we will seek and strive to love one another. It's part of who we are, not just as a church, but as a Christian. It's part of our identity. To love one another is not a negotiable extra in the Christian life. There is no room in the gospel in the Christian life to claim that you follow Jesus, yet refrain from actively loving God's people. And within these verses that we read today, let me just list list out the love one another parts to really highlight what it looks like to be a Christian. I've listed them on the screen, the different verses that come up in this passage. Verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child, the church, as well. When you read that, those verses, there's no arguing, is there? Like, you can't just say, oh, no, no, I, well... John just is mistaken. Like he's, he just, he's, just, he's just rambling here. Come on. We can't excuse ourselves. Like we can't, there's no excuse. A changed heart is one that loves others. A changed heart by God, a heart that loves God, it loves others. It's essential to the nature of who we are. It's essential, uh, it, it's you know, the whole family thing that I was saying earlier. Love for others shows us who we belong to. It's so natural for us. It's like uh, the baby who cries. It's like the dog that barks, the cat that purrs. I was going to say meows. Purrs, the cat that purrs, right? Like it's so natural to, to the Christian to love. Love for others shows us who we belong to. It's a transformation of our heart. 
Now, John, John is, is writing something to us here because he's I- explaining how he's writing this again and again because it, he's trying to tell us, it, like, it, he knows it's hard to do. I think in our, in our culture today, in our, in the, the movement today is, is the, the love yourself movement. We hear that a lot in pop psychology, don't we? In today's culture, love yourself, which is good because I think some people need to know that, especially if you have low self-esteem and all that stuff, and you need, that's an important message for you. I agree with that. But John assumes we're naturally good at that, aren't we? Most of, the, like, most of us, all of us, we wake up in the morning and who are we thinking about? We're thinking about ourselves, aren't we? We're thinking about meeting our needs and our wants. We naturally, selfishly love ourselves. That's our default. But that desire to sacrificially love others in this way, that's transformation. It begins with knowing God's love for us, and it's driven by a love that first and foremost is for Him and then for others around us. A Christian that can't help but love because our hearts have been so gripped by God's love. And we want to love what He loves. To love uh, His people, to love this church family, to love the people that He saved me into a relationship with. I I say this many times, but He saves us into a vertical relationship with Him and a horizontal relationship with one another. We're not saved into isolation. This is the people that God has called us to practically and actively love. You know, because to, to love God is to obey His commandments, John says. And so many of His commands are one another commands. You know, I, I think about this because I often hear people tell me that they, they can be Christians without going to church. The, the Christian monk who, who lives in isolation in the mountains meditating all day isn't able to fulfill these one another commands, are they? The Christian who stays at home and thinks online church is church, listening to Spotify is church, is, is very much sadly mistaken like, like the monk in the mountains. <laughs> John allows no space for a Christianity that's withdrawn to itself. If you're a follower of Christ, then you must gather with. We must care for and support other believers. The fruit of the Christian life is actual change, moving towards others around us in humble, sacrificial, Christ-like love. And so, friends, that's why I, if you ever get text messages throughout the week from me, I encourage you and our, and, and our leaders encourage you to, to keep showing up. Show up to church each week. Show up to your midweek small groups, to your, your, your missional community. Show up to serve your church because it's in those moments we're living out God's love, loving and receiving love. We're putting on display uh, that, that we are a people of God through His love. So it begins with that transformation, that reordered love. But secondly, it's a love that takes initiative, isn't it? You know, can I encourage you to keep looking around, consider how you can initiate in love with those around you here. There's a, there's a trend that happens in growing churches like ours. We've been around for nine years, if you're new with us. Uh, we started as a very young and small church under uh, 10 people, 30, 40 people over the years. And, then, and, and during those first you know, five years, it was very, very organic. All right, everything was, there's, there's less structure, more, again. I mean, everyone knew our vision, loving Jesus, loving each other, love and, and strive to be a, that loving community to each other. Every newcomer who walked through our doors, everyone was taking initiative to meet the needs of, a, of the church and of the people that were joining into our community. Here's the temptation and, and the trend in churches of our size and growing. All right, the trend is this, we'll look around and we'll see, oh, there are leaders getting stuff done. There are structures now in place. Things are working. And the temptation for many of us is we don't need to take initiative with loving others. Someone else will do it. In fact, I just want to receive love from people here. I don't want to go out of my way to love. 
you know, it's often what you call in larger groups the bystander effect. You know, having that mindset that someone else will take the initiative to love. Uh, uh, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, I feel it too. When the church gave me, people are loving each other, so I don't need to. I, I get that. We feel it. We all do. But let's not wait. You know, when we see a newcomer in our church, when during our five-minute breaks after church, let's welcome other people around us. Let's initiate in love. Because the bystander effect is not an act of love. It's actually unloving to not do anything, to be passive. Let's take the initiative. Let's move towards each other. Just like as we, as we think about God, let's look for practical ways we can love someone just as God took the initiative with you and I. Lastly, what message are we sending to others when we refuse to actively love? John has repeated this idea of loving one another so many times. I can only guess it's because the people in the church that he's writing to aren't loving each other. And it's, it's showing something about the God that they worship. We'll happily take God, we'll happily call ourselves Christians, but to initiate and love others, that's hard. I don't want to do that. What, what, what are we doing when we're, when we're saying that? If the love is the distingu- distinguishing mark of Christians because it's a distinguishing attribute of the God we worship, what does it say about God? I mean, I think it's a terrible tragedy when the church presents a non-loving, ungracious, passive attitude to those around us. There's a, there's a famous quote by Gandhi, you might have heard this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. Isn't it so sad that the watching world around us who can't physically see God or have yet understood who God is, they see us, ambassadors, representatives of God, often living in a way that makes us no different to the world around us. Man, we should feel uncomfortable. We should feel uncomfortable if our friend ever makes the comment to you, oh, you're a Christian? <laughs> I didn't realize. I thought you were just like one of us. We should feel <laughs> embarrassed by that. Do we make God look good? Are we making God look attractive? Are we standing out in a world that is so desperately seeking love? And are we going to be loving and showing them the love that God has for us? While the Western world thinks Christianity is out of fashion, they today and every generation in history still deeply is longing to love and be loved. And guess what? We have the answer. It's right here. God is love. And we are loved in Him through Jesus And we, the church community, have the absolute privilege to be ambassadors of love to a watching world. It's going to start right here in the church that we're part of. It's going to start right here to love the person next to you that you call your brother and sister in Christ. A church which diligently cares for and meets the needs of one another. That's going to be the strongest demonstration of the truth of the gospel. Wouldn't you agree? We make the gospel visible when we love. So our providence, we've got to labor for this, a faithful, loving community of faith if we want to see the gospel advance. Now, my concern is that we hear this message and it falls on deaf ears. We hear it, we know, we hear it every week, Mikey, come on. We rock up every Sunday, we go home, we hear the Word of God, and it doesn't actually affect or impact our lives. There is no change. I worry about that. That's your path. I, wor- I worry about that for my own heart, too. I wonder, if, is that true of me? Do I, do I actually love you guys? Am I going to sacrificially love others around me, actual individuals? Not just say I love the church, but to actually love individual people. Not just my friends and family, they're easy to love, but the, those around me who I'm 
might not have anything in common with. It worries me at times. Because I know at times I'd rather be selfish instead of selfless. I don't want to be. I'm limited. I'm fallen as the next person. But if that is you, if you're anything like me, the first step isn't try harder. I tried that already and I failed again. But what we need to hear is, one, it's okay, you're, you're not God and I'm not God either. But two, in His Spirit, we pray to Him. Let me encourage you to pray to Him in those moments, to ask Him to help you know His love and to live in His love and to live in love and continue to pray that prayer. Continue to pray and wrestle, that, wrestle, in your heart, wrestle with God in your heart about that. Let His Spirit guide you to love because you know a God who is love. Maybe you need to set some achievable goals to love someone. You, know, you think about three people in the room who you don't know that well. You want to you know, move towards them in love. Yeah, maybe you need to do something like that as well. But no, we're, we're not God. We're not going to always love perfectly. We might fail at times, but we can lean into Him. We can strive to do it. We can keep turning to the love we see in the gospel and strive towards that vision of being a follower of Jesus, reflecting the love of God in the way we live. I really want to encourage us as a church, keep looking to God, the God who is love, because that, when, when that is at the center of everything we do, we make Jesus look good. You know, while there are people looking for love from AI chatbots, um, what I'm also seeing uh, trending a lot amongst 20 and 30-year-olds, uh, especially on social media, are gatherings organized via social media between strangers. It, it's like speed dating, but to find a friend. And uh, I, found, I found two the other day even on, on, on my TikTok in Brisbane. That happened in Brisbane. That happened in our own backyard. And the story is always the same. There's some young woman who moved to Brisbane, has no friends, didn't know where to make friends, so did a call out and heaps of people signed up to join in. Come along to this, to this picnic with like-minded people between the ages of 20 to 30, and it's actually really impressive. Maybe it's just the marketing, the videos on TikTok, but it's actually pretty impressive. They're pulling big groups of people along to come along to these things to make new friends, to find connections. And it's so good. Uh, like I, that's a great thing. People are doing that, and, and people are finding new friendships. I think that's a great thing, especially in a world where loneliness is on the rise and all that. But how much more should we as a church? How much more should we as a church be creating spaces like that for those in our city who are lonely, looking for friendship and love? How much more for those who are walking through our doors even, coming through our doors here at Providence, who want to get to know God and know a, a, a church community that they can be part of to love and be loved? How much more for the person right here today next to you, here at church, who is actually part of your church family? Is church, our church, a space to love and be loved? Friends, let's keep striving to be that. Let's, let's keep striving to do that in humble, proactive, sacrificial ways because we know a God who is love and has loved us that way in Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to love like you, to be a people who are willing to lay down our lives in love to those around us, to love our brothers and sisters in humble, sacrificial ways so the world around us can meet you, the world around us can get to know you through, through the way we display your love in our lives. We pray for this, Lord. We, we pray that your Spirit will help us to love like you, to love like the way Jesus laid down his life for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.